Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope that this sermon is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Darkness. Its cold is sensed. Its power is gripping. Its uncertainty is paralyzing. Its thickness is felt. But strike just one match, and instantly there is a glimmer of hope. The warmth, though small, is enough to ease the mind and strengthen the heart. Darkness retreats when light is present. And as you add more light, the darkness decreases as the warmth begins to increase. What was once just a spark is now a steady flame. The light is now the prevalent feeling and the darkness, a fleeting thought. When fed, the light now dominates and the darkness flees away until soon there is none left of it. Darkness cannot remain in the presence of the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, that he is the light of the world. When a person has him in their life, they have that light within them. And when the light is consuming a person, the darkness flees away. In a world consumed with so much darkness, will you choose to strike a match? The spark of the realization that God loves you and accepts you more than you could fathom, that all fulfillment and peace with God is found in him and that he gave his own life to prove his love. Will you choose to strike a match of love in your own life? Will you determine to love him with all of you? Will you ignite the desire to know him and his heart? Loving God is more than just Sunday Christianity. Loving God is more than just being a nominal Christian. Loving God is more than just a commitment. It is the life of a disciple. It is daily following. Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. And as a consuming fire, he deserves a consuming love. Listen, this type of love for God means that he gets more than just the scraps of my life. This type of love for God is shown in my actions and my attitudes towards people around me. This type of love for God says that Jesus is not just present and he is not even prominent, but Jesus is preeminent. This is not loving God our way, it is loving God his way. Mark 12, 30 and 31 says this, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. When we are consumed with his love, we will experience his love within and express his love without. Today, you are one decision away from a totally different life. The decision is to be consumed. Consumed with loving God and loving people. Going on. Be challenged with loving God and loving people. You know what? When you look at the word consumed, that word consumed, it just simply means this, to absorb all of the attention and energy of someone. 
You know what? We go through our lives and we are consumed by so much. We go through our lives and we become consumed with uh, different things. We become consumed. When you're consumed with something, it's always on your mind. Those of you that are married, uh, uh, maybe you remember when you were first falling in love and your mind, your life was just consumed by that person. I remember being in college and uh, Hannah and I, we kind of skipped the whole dating thing. We just, I just asked her to marry me. Uh, but I remember the weeks leading up to it and we, we uh, got to know, re, got reacquainted with each other in uh, July of that year. And then we got engaged in uh, November of that year. But I remember August was the first time that we really uh, spent a lot of time together we were there at, at Bible college. And uh, man, I remember being in August and September and, and it getting into October and November and classes. I'd be sitting in school and college, and uh, all I could think about was her. I don't remember anything from that year except for getting engaged and getting married the following May. Uh, I don't remember a lot of class. I, I probably, I'd have to really be hard-pressed to think about any classes I actually took that year. I don't remember. Man, my mind, it was just uh, consumed. And you've been there if you're married or if you've had a relationship, your thoughts, your actions, your time, uh, just all of you is completely invested into that relationship. You're consumed with that person. Maybe you can't relate with that one because you're a teenager or a young adult that hasn't been, <coughs> been married yet, but you can probably relate with being consumed with a sport. Man, there's, there's many of you, you're athletes and you play a game, you play maybe basketball or football or, or uh, I don't know why you would play tennis or soccer, you know, those kind of sports or track and field. And that's not really a sport. That's punishment. Uh, but but you, you play a sport and you become consumed with it. I mean, you're just thinking about training. And there's some people who have played athlete, played some sports in here, some playing in college basketball and, and football. And just that, is, that controls your mind. It controls your actions. And maybe for you, it might be a hobby or a friend or even a job. But the fact of the matter is that we all have times in our life when we are completely absorbed with something. All of our attention all of our energy, all of our life dedicated to one thing. Well, this year we're gonna be challenged to be consumed with an all-in type love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Having my mind consumed with him, having my heart consumed with him, having my actions consumed with him. This year I pray that our mind would be consumed with this phrase, loving God, and loving others or loving people. To help us with this, I really want us to get into our theme passage this morning. And so stand, if you would, Mark chapter 12, and we're gonna read the verses, <coughs> excuse me, in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, down through verse number 34 is what we're gonna read this morning. You can use the Bible there, maybe in the seat in front of you, there's one underneath that, or you can just look on the screen, the verses will be up here as well. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse number 28. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. 
This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly or wisely or prudently, Jesus said unto him, this scribe, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. Verse 30 and 31, again, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The whole idea here is being consumed, loving God with all of me and letting that be shown in my actions towards love of others. This morning, I want to pray with you that God would help us to be consumed and we learn this message. And not that this would be a theme that we would look at and say, oh, it's a good theme for our church, but that we would look at this and say, God, I really want this to be my theme for the year. I want it to be something that I adopt into my life personally. Would you pray with me with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? If you would just take a moment and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you commit the next few minutes to the Lord asking him to speak to you, asking God to help you take this theme and apply it personally this morning. Dear Lord, we just come before you and we thank you again for your love and thank you for the, the uh, word of God. Thank you for the message that is before us today and uh, Lord, I know that you have continually this year and, and this last uh, few months been challenging me in this idea of being consumed and loving you with all of me. And so, Father, I, I know that I'm inadequate of conveying uh, your word in, in a, a great way, but I know that your spirit can through me. And so, uh, God, I just surrender my mind and my heart and uh, everything of me to you right now, that you would speak to us. I pray that you help each one of us. I do pray, God, that if there's someone that's here this morning that they don't know their sins are forgiven, they don't know they have a relationship with you, I pray, God, that today would be the day that they come to know you as their uh, personal Savior. Lord, speak to us now and help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <coughs> Excuse me. As you come to Mark chapter 12 this morning, we kind of come in on uh, the last half of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. I believe he would probably be about 14 months till he would go to the cross, maybe 16 months. But nonetheless, we're about a year and a half into his ministry. As Jesus often did, he would, um, he would teach for a little bit, and then he would go through some time of, of questioning from uh, what I call the religious elite. These would be the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. These would be those that uh, they would be considered the quote-unquote religious leaders of that day and age and of, uh, among the Hebrew people. And of course, much of their questioning, it was not done in respect. You have to understand, and this has been mentioned before, uh, move this to the side, You've been, this has been mentioned before, but a lot of the questioning that was done um, for, um, 
in, in public uh, settings was done very disrespectfully. And I believe this was mentioned a few weeks ago in a message. Uh, I don't know who was preaching, one of our staff, I think, and mentioned this. But there'd be times that if somebody was uh, teaching and uh, there would be certain areas that you could go and you could have your soapbox, so to speak, and get up and teach certain truths. And then everybody was supposed to just kind of listen to you, gather information. And if they had a question, they were supposed to go to you maybe privately. Well, that should have been the case with Jesus, but it hardly ever was. Uh, you remember Nicodemus did that. He went to Jesus privately, John chapter three, and he did it well. He did it with wisdom. But in this passage, this was not the case in many of these people. What Jesus had done, he had just got done teaching Jesus. He was teaching on marriage and some different things like that. And, and people were just asking these questions. Oh yeah, well, if you say, and they, they would do it in front of everybody. And they did it in such a way that they were trying all of the times they questioned Jesus the groups, all of the times, uh, well, I'll say many of the times that the groups were questioning Jesus, they were questioning him with an attempt to corner him. They were questioning him with an attempt to trap him in his words. They were questioning him with arguments and things that they themselves didn't agree on. And so the Pharisees would question him, trying to get him to say something against the Sadducees. And the Sadducees would say something, trying to get him to say something against the Pharisees. And uh, maybe others would come in that would try to get him to say something against both groups. And so they're always trying to quarter and trying, trying to corner him and, and vie for getting him to say something against somebody else and helping him kind of uh, put his foot in his mouth. Well, I'm thankful Jesus never did that. Now you and I, we do that all the time. Maybe you don't, I do. You're like, we know, we listen to you every week. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes I know it's open mouth, insert both feet, you know? And um, I know that there's times in my life when you just, uh, we learned in this morning, you speak before thinking rather than thinking before speaking. Jesus did not have that problem. Jesus always knew what to say and he knew exactly how to say it. Well, as you come in on Mark chapter 12, this is the scenario that we're coming in on. People questioning him and questioning him disrespectfully. But when you come to Mark 12 and verse 28, there's a scribe that comes. I personally believe that in the midst of all of this disrespectful questioning going on, that this scribe, I believe he comes in sincerity. I believe that was some of the wording this morning. Uh, the Bible tells us that he had listened, he had perceived that they had spoken well, that they had uh, some thought had gone into the conversation that Jesus had just had. And so I believe this scribe, with a little bit of humility, he comes to Jesus and he, he asks a question. But I want you to notice what this question was. This question, it was not asked to trap Jesus, but it was asked in sincerity. And I believe this morning, and I want you to notice with me that this question was what I'm calling a common question. This question asked by the scribe was a common question. <clears throat> by common, I mean it was a question that frequented everybody's mind. We read the question he asked, but before we see that, I want you to notice why I believe this was a question asked in sincerity. If you look at, <coughs> excuse me, if you look at verse number 28, you read the first part of it. it. Before he asks the question, it directs us to know that there was a lot of thought put into the question. 
Here's why it says that the scribe, he heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well. The word reasoning, it means he, he heard both sides of the argument. So here's this scribe who would belong to the religious elite. Uh, Luke refers to him as a lawyer and Matthew does as well. And so he was one who would know the law. So him knowing this law, him who would be a scribe, one who would write out the law consistently, he hears the, them asking questions about marriage. That's what was taking place before. And he says, I reason, it's like he, he's there and he's like, man, what they asked makes sense, but the answer Jesus gave makes complete sense. I reasoned within myself that he answered well. Knowing that Jesus answered a question well, it dawns on this scribe. I wonder if he would answer my question well. I wonder if he would answer my personal question well. And so this scribe, he takes his question with sincerity before the Lord. You know, it's something that's pretty neat to me is right before us on the very pages of Mark chapter 12, we see James 1.5 in action. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. What a powerful message. Here in the middle of Jesus's life and his ministry, there's someone who genuinely is seeking him and he asks a question and he received an answer. Notice the question Jesus asked, or the, the uh, scribe asked. The question he asked, and I, I say this was a common question because it's a one that was frequently asked. During this time, it would be in Israel's history that there was a lot of talk and arguing going on and the arguing was, which commandment is most important? What is the first commandment? Now, if you know Israel's history, there's a lot of commandments to choose from. In the Old Testament alone, there's over 600 commandments. On top of that, these religious leaders had added about another 600 commandments. So if you look from 1,000 to 1,200 commandments, trying to pick the most important one that a person should really, really focus on, that would be a hard discussion to have. But this, this scribe, he doesn't just ask anybody. He sees that Jesus has some wisdom. And I personally believe that this scribe was one that was approaching Jesus with a, a little bit of belief, kind of wondering, maybe, maybe he is the Messiah. And so he asks this question, what is the great commandment? Look at verse number 28. Which is the first commandment of all? The first commandment doesn't mean first as in which one did you give first. It means which is the weightiest commandment? Which one is the most important commandment? Which one is the one that God would want from me? And uh, this phrase, this uh, question is not worded in such a way that, that we would perhaps understand it today. But he's saying, hey, what is the one area that God wants me to obey in? Which commandment is the most important for me to live by? If God expects one thing from me, what is it? Now, I call that a common question because that's still a common question today, isn't it? People ask me often, you know, if God were to tell me one thing, what would it be? You know, if God really could only tell me one thing, give me one instruction, what would it be? People at your workplace, people in your family, you yourself have probably even wondered at a time in your life, if there's one thing that God wants from me, what is it? Well, the scribe, he comes with that question. 
That question, what is the weightiest commandment? I want you to notice the answer comes from the Lord, the greatest commandment, the weightiest commandment, Jesus says, is one thing, have a consuming love. Have a consuming love. Notice our text for the year, Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. Jesus answered him and says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. We'll stop there for a moment. He says, all right, I'm gonna give you the answer. You wanna know the weightiest commandment? Love God with all of you. Love God with all of you. Out of the hundreds of commandments, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter six and verse number four. It's called the Shema for the Hebrew. It says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The Shema, this is something that still to this day would be quoted each morning and each night by many Hebrews. It is a command to be consumed with a love for God. Hey, Jesus, what's the weightiest commandment? Jesus answered, God is one God, and so you should love him with one love, a singular love. I love this thought. If he be one, our hearts must be one with him. Since there is no God besides him, no rival must be admitted with him upon the throne of my life. Hey, if he is one Lord, and we believe that this morning, I believe that there is only one God. It's not, it's not many gods that get you to heaven. It's not many roads that lead to heaven. No, it is only Jesus Christ. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is one triune being, and we believe in the beginning was God. He was not created. He was not thought of. He was not uh, something that somebody created in their mind. No, he is God and God alone, and I believe that this morning. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that there is one God, then that one God deserves the throne of my life. That one God deserves the love of my heart. That one God deserves for you to love him singularly, love him and love him alone. This command to be consumed by a love for God. You say, Pastor Dennis, what does this mean for me? What is being consumed by a love for God? A simple phrase is this. Being consumed by a love for God, this is loving God with all of you. Loving God with all of you. <clears throat> when you read the verses, it says, I'm to love him with all of my heart. This is loving him emotionally. He alone is who I find fulfillment in. He alone is who has first place in my emotions and controls my feelings. My feelings are directed and controlled by him and his word. I will not allow feelings of ill will or bitterness or frustration to take root in my life because I love him with all my heart. I will not allow pride to rule in my life because Jesus already has the throne. I will get off loving him with all my heart. Loving him with all my soul is loving him spiritually. This means that he alone is the one that I worship. He is the one that I ascribe worth to. He is the one that I trust in hard times. He is the one that I turn to. He is the one that I spend time with. He is the one that controls the access to the worship in my life. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. I will not ascribe worth or put anything above God in my life. Why? Because I love him with all of my soul. 
Loving him with my heart, that's emotions. Loving him with my soul, that's the spiritual life. Loving him with my mind, that's loving him mentally. That's loving him with my thinking. This is loving him in my thoughts and with my thinking. He alone is who I allow to control my mind and my decisions. In other places, you'll read that you're supposed to love him with all of the understanding. All of my thoughts are set upon him. He is the one who controls the directions in my life. I don't make plans without first consulting him in his word. And can I just tell you this morning that God's word will never lead you contrary, or excuse me, God's spirit will never lead you contrary to God's word. There are decisions that we make sometimes. Listen, there are decisions that we make sometimes simply because we feel Let me say it again, because we feel that those are the decisions that God wants, but oftentimes they are contrary to the word of God. Well, Pastor Dennis, I just don't feel like I should be married anymore. That's contrary to the word of God. Well, Pastor Dennis, I just feel like I don't need to, uh, I don't need to tell my coworkers about the Lord. I just feel like, you know, I, I can just be a good witness and never verbally talk to them. That's contrary to the word of God. Well, you know, pastor, I feel, I feel like, you know, I don't need to be faithful to church. I mean, you can have church anywhere. I worship God in the hills. I had one guy one time, he was like, I, you know, I invited him to church. He said, oh, and I have the greatest church services. Oh yeah, where do you go? It's me in the old forest. Man, I go hunting, I just worship the Lord and I just it's just me, it's just me and the Lord right there. It's my own little church. Oh, that may sound really cool, but it's not in God's word. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. It doesn't say not forsaking the assembly and you in the old bark. <laughs> not in there. You see, and sometimes, listen, we need to understand if I'm gonna love him with all of my mind, it's saying you will control all of my decisions. I will make decisions and my thinking will be based upon your word, not simply how I feel. Loving him with my heart, loving him with my soul, my mind, and then loving him with my strength. This is loving him physically. Loving him with my activity. He alone is who I serve. He alone and his cause is what I use my body and my breath for. I give him my time. I give him my health. I give him my finances. Everything that has to do with this, I give it completely to him. Listen, this is what it means to be consumed with a love for God. It is letting your love for God absorb all of your attention, all of your energy, and every single part of your life. Can I just tell you this morning that this is letting his, my, my, my love for him, be the motive for everything I do. Don't just come to church because someone says come to church. Don't read your Bible just simply because the pastor says read your Bible. Listen, don't work at being a good spouse just because you don't want to have to go through a divorce. You and I, everything we should, everything we do in life should simply be because I love him. I don't, I want to read the word. Why? Because I love him. I want to be in his house. Why? Because I love him. I want to forgive. Why do you want to forgive? Because I love the Lord and I I know he's forgiven me. Can I just tell you that being consumed with his love is saying, I'm going to let his love be the motive for every single thing I do. 
His love is going to be the motive of why I'm a good employee or a good employer. His love is going to be the motive of why I take care of this temple. His love is going to be the motive of why I'm a good mom or a good dad or a good student or a good son or a good daughter or a good grandparent. His love is why I do this. You say, Pastor, loving God like that, I don't even know, I don't even know if I could. Can I tell you why you can? 1 John 4, 19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. You see, my love for him is not based on just this great desire. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to buckle down, buddy, and I'm going to love him. <clears throat> I'm incapable of it. But I can love him when I realize his love toward me. <coughs> Excuse me, his this idea of being consumed with a love for him, it starts at realizing his love for me. We can love God because he loved us. He loved you enough to send his son to die for your sin and my sin. He loves you when you're unlovable. And I say it often, but listen, he loves you so much and there's nothing that you could ever do that would increase his love for you or decrease his love for you. God loves you the same today as he does tomorrow as he did yesterday. His love is perfect. He loves you with a perfect, demonstrated love. Your love for him should start at what's called salvation. Maybe you're here and you don't know that Jesus Christ is your savior. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sin and come into your life. Can I tell you this morning, Going to church can't get you to heaven. Getting baptized cannot get you to heaven. Being a good person can't get you to heaven. Going to confessional can't get you to heaven. Joining a cult can't get you to heaven. Uh, any religious work that you and I could do cannot get you to heaven. It all starts with understanding his love for you, that Jesus came to this earth as God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He did no sin, knew no sin, thought no sin. And yet on the, uh, when he was 33 years old, he was put upon a cross and he died on a cross, a cruel punishment for your sin and my sin. But the Bible says he wasn't killed he laid his life down and then he took it back up again. He rose from the dead three days later to prove that he was God and prove that he can be trusted. Listen, my friend, that's how much Jesus loves you and you wanna love him, it starts at receiving him into your life. You can go through life and I can go through life trying to uh, make our way to heaven or earn his approval. It's never gonna happen. It starts with understanding he loved me first. But then if you know Christ as your savior, did you know that that love for him is supposed to continue by being consumed? His love in you, his love showed to you should be returned by you and I loving him. And let me tell you, when I have a consuming love, it means that I'm not, that I, excuse me, it means that I am making a total commitment of all that I am and all that I have to the leadership of the Lord. He has the throne of my life in every area. Can I tell you that loving God with all of us will effectively take us off of our heart's throne. Loving God with all of us, it arms us against anything that would rival him for the throne of my heart. Loving God entirely, being consumed with this type of love means that I understand that he has the sole right to me and therefore he ought to have the sole possession of me. He has the sole right to my life because he died for me and rose again and he should have the sole possession of my life. But what we must know this morning is that this type of Christianity, this type of love for the Lord, can I tell you, it's not desired by most Christians. Most Christians don't desire to be consumed. 
Why? Because being consumed is costly. Here's what Jesus said. Luke 9, 23, he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Can I tell you this morning that being consumed is not about just making a few decisions here and there. It is choosing the life of fellowship, choosing the life of a disciple, choosing the life of he gets everything. You see, many Christians, they'll be asked, hey, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you consumed by a love for Jesus? And most Christians, they'll say, oh, yes. Yes, I'm consumed. Yes, I follow. Yeah, I'm a disciple. But the truth is, they've simply received Jesus as their Savior and then invited Jesus to follow them. They're still in charge of their life. They're still calling the shots. They're still directing their own life. They're still managing their own, um, their own heart. They're still uh, worshiping their own self. But no, Jesus says, this is not how it works. That is not discipleship. Discipleship and consuming says that I love him and I love him first. You see, the Lord doesn't want servants who will give him the leftovers of their life. He wants the first part. He wants men and women who will give him their all. I like how I heard it said last year as I was studying all of this. One man said it this way, we're too Christian to enjoy sin and too sinful to enjoy Christ. We have enough Jesus to be informed, but we don't have enough Jesus to be transformed. We want Sunday Christianity, not Monday through Saturday discipleship. In a book written a few years ago, one pastor said it this way about modern day Christianity. He said, my greatest concern as a pastor is that people that go to church every week of their lives, but never go all in. They can follow rules, but never follow Christ. We've cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without selling out. We've made it too convenient and too comfortable. We're given people, we've given people just enough Jesus to be bored, but not enough to feel the surge of holy adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide to follow him no matter what, no matter where, and no matter when. Hey, Jesus, what's the weightiest commandment? Love God with all of you. Be consumed. But I want you to notice verse 31, that Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, oh, just love God. Verse 31 says that that love for God is going to affect your love for others. Love God and then love others as yourself. You know what? When we love God first, that love for him is going to change our love for others. This is really, if you, if you think about it, this is the trademark of biblical Christianity, a love for God that is shown in our actions to other people. Loving other people, listen, loving other people as yourself. This is putting other people's needs before your own. This is listening before speaking. This is investing instead of taking. This is giving, not receiving. This is sacrificial. This is forgiving. This is serving. This is love in action. When you think about it, loving someone else or loving others as yourself, I, I want to bring out a couple of thoughts about that. You see, when we're loving others, well, let me just say it this way. You would not speak that way to yourself, so why do you speak that way to your spouse? You would not speak that way about yourself in gossiping, and yet we oftentimes gossip about others. 
We sometimes, you would love to give yourself grace, give yourself forgiveness after an offense or a disappointment in the home or in the church or with friends. You'd love to give some grace after maybe a misunderstanding. So why don't we offer the same grace or forgiveness in our home or with our kids or with our friends? You see, this is part of loving people as myself. Loving people in spite of their faults, loving other Christians and serving together, serving God together with imperfect people, forgiving because we're forgiven, having grace in our home because we need grace in our life. And all of it is based on the foundation of love for God. You see, it's a love for God that is shown in our actions towards others. And here's the truth that when we profess a relationship with God vertically, if that does not change how we treat people horizontally, we're just kidding ourselves about having a consuming Christianity. The fact of the matter is that sometimes we're not loving others the way we should because we don't love God the way we should. So here's the scribe, common question. What's the weightiest commandment? Jesus gives the answer, have a consuming love. So now this scribe, as well as you and I, we face what I'm calling as I close this morning, a critical decision. After hearing the answer, the scribe says to Jesus, thou art, you've said it well. Said it well. There is one Lord, there's none beside him, and loving him with all of you is better than performance. Loving him with all of you is better than, than all the sacrifices you could make. Loving him is where it starts. The scribe agrees with Jesus and says, if you're not loving God the way you should, then any quote unquote performance of the other commandments is completely in vain. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. Mark 12, 34, look with me. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, I always thought that word, I always thought that word was that he answered quietly. He answered discreetly. You know, and so I'm like, oh, here's the scribe, like kind of whispering to Jesus. Oh, that's a good answer. It's not what it means. This means that Jesus saw that this scribe, he answered with a depth of wisdom and prudence that other people did not possess, that those around him, probably the other Pharisees, didn't have. This scribe answers discreetly, complete wisdom, complete prudence, he notices this guy's sincere, and he, man, this guy, he's getting it. And that's the answer that Jesus says to him. Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. By the phrase, thou art not far from the kingdom of God, Jesus is simply saying this. All right, Mr. Scribe, you know it, but will you do it? Hey, you know it. You knew the answer. Mr. Scribe, I gave you the answer. You knew the answer. You know it, but will you do it? You know it, but will you live it? You know it, but will you choose it? He says, you're not far from understanding and receiving truth. Here's what I want us to see this morning. This scribe, he knew what Jesus was saying this scribe understood the truth in the message about loving God. He understood the truth about being consumed. But this scribe, he had a decision to make. 
Because being consumed is more than just knowing I should love him. It is understanding and attempting to love him. But I want you to know that Jesus is not saying you've got to follow the commandments to be in the kingdom of God. That would be contrary to the word of God. Jesus is saying, you know about loving. You know about loving God, but are you loving God? You're not far from truly getting this. So take that next step, that next step, Mr. Scribe. Do it. What I want us to see this morning is that love, loving God, it starts with knowing God. I said a moment ago that loving God begins with understanding his love for us and his desire to forgive us of our sin and be our savior. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, Jesus loved you enough to die for you so that you don't have to go to hell and spend eternity without him. And that's where loving God starts. It starts at receiving his salvation. It starts at receiving him as the Messiah. But for those of you that are saved and know Christ as your savior, it is only when he is my savior that I can love him with all of me and loving God continues with being consumed and showing others his love through my life. Being consumed, loving him with all of me. We often know we're to love God, but we fail to live it out on a daily basis. We fail to give him preeminence. We fail to love others as ourselves. We fail to seek him in our decisions. We fail to spend time with him. We often fail to be consumed. Well, I'm praying that 2019 will be a year where we choose no more. No more do I fail at this. This year, with God's help and with God's strength, I'm gonna be consumed. I heard the story of a Cambodian missionary who told a story, I heard from a Cambodian missionary who told a story of a young girl. Her name was Sua. And this young girl, she, uh, she met the missionary. Her dad was a witch doctor there in Cambodia. Her family did not know God, did not know about God. That missionary, he sought permission from the witch doctor to bring the children to church, to Sunday school, to learn the missionary says that the reason the witch doctor let him go is because he was hoping the church would teach them English. So that family, that witch doctor allowed his children to go and they went to church and before long, those, uh, that little girl and her brothers and sisters, they trusted Jesus Christ as their savior. They began growing and they began becoming so different that the mom said, I, I wanna see what they do for you at church. And so the mom went to church. A few weeks later, the mom received Jesus Christ as Savior. And without being able to get into the whole story, over the course of the next few months, those children and that mom began to grow in the Lord. They began to read their Bibles. They began to pray. They began to attend church faithfully. The witch doctor dad, he began to see such a great difference in them that it began to upset him completely. And so every time the family would go to church, when he heard them talking about church, God, the Bible, or Jesus or anything having to do with it, he would beat them. He would lay bruises on his own kids and he would just beat them horrifically. Came to the point that one day, Sua was the only one, this girl was the only one that was walking to church. She was walking with a limp and the pastor 
knew the beatings was happening, but really his hands were tied on doing anything. In the country of Cambodia, you can't bring accusations against somebody without complete witnesses and people all agree, a group coming in and saying this is happening. And of course, in that culture, people aren't gonna turn against each other like that. But Sua came with that limp that day and he said, Sua, where's your brothers and sisters? And she said something to him along the lines of this, pastor, I can't take their beatings. He said, what do you mean? He said, pastor, it's come to the point that every time we even come to church, every one of us gets a beating for stepping foot in the church. She said, I can only take my beatings. I can't take theirs. So I come because I'm willing to take the beating. That pastor says when he heard that, he stepped back and thought, man, God, please help this little girl today. Please speak to her. She's making such a sacrifice just to come to church. Through the course of a number of years, this just continued. Sua became of age to get married, and in that culture, they'll do many arranged marriages. But Sua wanted to marry a godly husband. She didn't want to just marry anybody. But her witch doctor dad set up a marriage that would profit him and profit the family. And so this witch doctor dad set up this marriage and this engagement party. Well, at the engagement party, Sua walked up to the man that she was supposed to marry, and in front of all of the guests, she took the ring, set it on the counter, and said, I'm sorry, I could never marry you. In that culture, that's complete disrespect. That man would not even want her to marry him because of his, her disrespect for him in that moment and his reputation. Sua went home as now a young lady, and her dad just beat her senseless. story continues, but Sua, she got it old enough to move out of the house. And Sua pursued her relationship with God. And right now, Sue is married to a Cambodian pastor working still in Cambodia. I tell you the story of Sua this morning to tell you this. Many Christians nowadays in America, we would leave God for a lot less. We wouldn't be willing to take our own beating. But here you have a little girl, 15, 20 years ago, that had got it. She said, I want to be consumed. And now God's using her life to affect hundreds and thousands of people's lives because she made the decision, I'll be consumed. Can I tell you this morning that you are one decision away from a completely different life? I wonder what God wants to do with your life. I wonder what God could do in your workplace. I wonder what God could do this year with your marriage, with those teenagers. I wonder what God could do this year with that friendship. I wonder what God could do this year in Moses Lake Baptist Church if we as his people would choose to be consumed. So I ask you the question this morning, will you be consumed? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.